When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Polo Timmy as well as right guard Zach Zinter. They pull out, boom, those blocks right there. Free Edwards, and now he's gone. And then it's about the vision and the cutback. He gets the cutback there, and it's a foot race to the end zone. And Michigan's ground game strikes again. I feel like somewhere Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum might still be running uh, right now on that Penn State defense. What a game it was on Saturday. What a day it was Saturday. Obviously, uh, great college football week. Hey, this is the Joel Klatt Show. I'm Joel Klatt. Thanks for joining. Um, been really loving doing this show with you all. Uh, thank you for those uh, that have come up uh, on site, whether it's been at Michigan or other venues, and and just uh, you know talked about the podcast. I really love doing it. Um, go download Mondays if you haven't yet, because we talked about a lot of great stuff. We broke down that Bama uh, Tennessee game. I told you exactly what I think Tennessee could be this year and what they maybe aren't uh, this year. So go check that out. Broke down that Michigan game as well. Um, uh, some love for Matt. Max Duggan and TCU. So again, go check that out. Today, some really cool stuff. Okay, so I'm excited about this episode because it's my first time this week getting to cover Ohio State. And um, I've had them at number one for a few weeks. And and I know that some people are you know think that that's crazy. But this will give me a good opportunity at least to go through uh, Ohio State. And so I'm going to have a, a nice breakdown of exactly what I think of Ohio State here on, on game week as they get ready to set uh, take on, excuse me, Iowa. Um, I'm also going to talk about divisions in college football. As, as this season has gone along, it's so clear that divisions are hurting college football. I'm going to tell you exactly why. And then some love for one of the players that maybe is not getting enough love out there in the country as one of the best players in the country. Um, and that's coming up at the end. But first, let's get into Ohio State. Okay, so the Buckeyes. This Buckeyes team, as you know, I've thought a lot of during the course of this season. And what you've heard me say for really the majority of the time is they're complete. They are balanced. Those are some of the words that I've, I've used. I've used dominant. And, and granted, like, you should be dominant if you're them and you're that good and you're playing the schedule that they have. 100% agree with you. Those of you that said, who have they played? One, I think it's the most tired argument in, in all of like college football argument. But it is a weak schedule up to this point. There's no doubt about it. Um, but let's break it down and, and let's take a closer look about what Ohio State actually is. Because I think this Ohio State team in 2022 is better than they were a year ago. 
and really might be their best team since 2019 and might even be better than the 2019 team. Uh, so let's dig into it because each area of this team, I think it stands out in their own unique way. Let's start with the offense. I think that their offense, as you've heard me say, is the best offense in college football. Now, there are some that have rivaled that, and, and certainly Tennessee is going to get their due. And trust me, I'll talk about Tennessee a little bit in here as well. But when you really look and you dig down and, and you start watching and preparing for this Ohio State team, what you'll realize is that this offense is probably better than a year ago, and they were clearly the best offense in college football a year ago. Let's look at their wide receiver position first. Now, how many teams in the country can lose two first-round wide receivers and then their best receiver who's coming back and the clear Blitnikoff um, front runner or favorite, if you will, for this season, best wide receiver in the country, Jackson Smith and Jigba, has basically been out the entire year. You would think that like, oh man, they probably are just trying to piece it together on the outside. Remember, lose two first-rounders, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and lose Jackson Smith and Jigba to injury this year, you'd probably assume that their passing game was taking a back seat, that they would have to rely on other areas of their team, but they haven't had to do that. In fact, if you look at the two guys that are being replaced that are now in the National Football League, the two guys that replace them are actually doing a better job. Whoa. Wild. Right? I know that's that's crazy to say, but when you look at Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, what they did through six games, 61 receptions, 1,040 yards, and 13 touchdowns. You look at Emeka Abuka and Marvin Harrison, they've got 66 catches, 1,191 yards, and 15 touchdowns. That's wild. I'm sorry, but that's just wild. And I understand that it's like, hey, numbers are... That is wild. These two guys, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, were great players. Great players. And they're proving that out, by the way, at the next level. And here we got these other two guys, like Emeka Abuka and Marvin Harrison, just step right in and take that torch and move it forward. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Not only the level of recruiting, but also the level of development in that room. And this leads me to a guy that I've praised online and, and want to praise here on the podcast, and that's the position coach of the wide receivers for the Buckeyes, Brian Hartline. I think Coach Hartline is the best position coach in all of college football. He's an excellent recruiter, but even more so than that, he's a wonderful developer of talent. And granted, they've got talented guys. And you could say like, well, of course, anybody would be a great coach, Joel, if you got those players. Yes, but if you actually go and you talk with Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or, or Marvin Harrison, which I have in Ebuka or Jackson Smith and Jigba, what you'll find out is that this guy, Coach Hartline, is an unbelievable teacher of the game and more specifically, the craft. I think that that's a big reason why they're so good at wide receiver, why these young players can step in and play so effectively, produce at such a high level. Granted, they're very talented. I don't want to take anything away, but this guy does an amazing, amazing job. One of the things that I talked with over the summertime with Jackson Smith and Jigba, we were here at Steve Clarkson's uh, passing camp here in Los Angeles, and there was a bunch of guys out there. You know, Caleb Williams is out there and, and CJ Stroud and... Um, um, 
the, the the Utah quarterback Cameron Rising was out there, and I I got to tell you, like it was fun being around all these great college players. Yes, but the best conversation I had wasn't actually with a quarterback; it was with Jackson Smith and Jigba. And the reason was is because of the level of detail that he went into when explaining what Coach Hartline goes through in their position meetings. And he talked about the information that you are allowing the defense to see through your route running and through your body language. And he went into such detail, and I thought to myself, there are very few position coaches in America that can coach to that level of detail. And... It was a fascinating conversation. I fully understand why they are great at wide receiver. Partly it's great talent, but also it's great development from their coach, Brian Hartline. So their wide receivers are actually a step up. And remember, this is without Smith and Jigba, who probably is going to be back at some point during the course of this stretch run. Okay, so what else about their team? Because it can't just be their wide receivers. We see them have great offense before, but they've also got very good balance on their offense. And I think that they're actually better and much more physical on their offensive line, which allows them to run the ball more effectively. Okay, so this offense is better than they were a year ago because they're more balanced. Uh, I think Stroud is a better player. More on that in a moment. But their run game is more physical. Last year, they were averaging about five and a half yards per carry, which is good. I'm not saying that it's not, but they were a bit of a one-back offense. Travion Henderson, if he wasn't in the game, they didn't have a lot going on. Now they've developed some depth in the backfield, and they're more physical up front, which allows them to run for uh, more yards per carry, six yards per carry. That's fifth in the country. They're more physical and they have more depth in the backfield. So now it's not just Travion Henderson, but also Mayan Williams, who's come in and contributed a great deal to that run game. I talked about C.J. Stroud, uh, and and I will further that here. He's much better now than he was in the first six starts that he had last year. Remember, they had a loss to Oregon last year. He wasn't great in the first half against Minnesota. Um, he was missing high. There were shoulder issues. He sat for a game. They didn't know what they had. Now, his numbers were good. I believe he threw through his first six starts, I, I want to say 22 touchdowns and, and three interceptions. So it was good and it was productive, but it wasn't nearly as controlled and as efficient as what we're seeing this year. Remember, he's got 24 touchdowns and three interceptions, and he's barely touched the field in the fourth quarter this year. So they're better on offense. But that doesn't make them the best team in the country. I've seen great offenses before. We all have. In fact, we've seen some incredible offenses that have fallen short at Ohio State, at Oklahoma, amongst others. And so they were going to have to get better on the defensive side. And the reason that they're number one for me is not that they've taken a step forward with their offense, which was already dynamic and electric a year ago, best offense in the country. It's because of the 18 steps that they've taken forward with their defense. Their defense under new defensive coordinator Jim Knowles is so much better than they were a year ago. I don't know how dominant they are, but I know that they're better. And I knew that last year, and really for, you know, stands the test of time over the last couple of decades, if you don't have a defense that can play in the top 30, top 25 in the country, then you're a team that's probably not a national title contender. Because we've only seen two teams since the BCS started that have won a national championship without a top 25 defense. Okay? 
It just doesn't happen. You have to be, you have to have a generational player to go and do that. In particular at quarterback, which maybe Ohio State does. Maybe Tennessee does. I'm not sure. But that was Cam Newton's Auburn team that did it. Joe Burrow's LSU team. And, and that defense wasn't terrible. I think they were in the 30s in terms of uh, a defensive statistics. But this defense has taken giant leaps and bounds of improvement from what they were a year ago. Last year, they were terrible. It's the reason that they lost to Oregon. They had to redo their schematics in the middle of the year. They had to replace defensive play callers. Now they go out and they get a new coordinator in Jim Knowles, and they're sitting here, and it's like, hey, you know, don't mention this to anybody, but this is a top 10 defense in all of the important categories, not just top 25, not just top 30, not just top half of college football, top 10. Top 10 in scoring defense, top 10 in total defense, passing defense, rushing defense, and more importantly, yards per play defense. Top 10 in every one of those categories. I can't wait to see how it plays out as they face better offenses, and I know that's not necessarily the case this week about against Iowa, but this is a defense that I could see helping them win a championship. So why is Ohio State number one in the country? Well, as I just laid out, they're much more balanced, both offensively and defensively. They've been dominant, and they certainly fit the bill of a team that can go win a shootout, get into a tough game, and win because they have the requisite offense to do that at the top end and the requisite defense to get in there and slug it out if they need to do that. So that's why Ohio State's number one. That's why Tennessee is not number one. Tennessee right now is... A bit one-dimensional. Obviously, I went through their defensive statistics on Monday. You can go back and listen to that episode. Um, this is 129th in pass defense is not going to cut it. They're much better against the run, and that should help them. But why would you bang your head against the wall running the football when you can throw the ball against the 129th ranked passing defense? In particular, if you're a team that has Marvin Harris and, uh, and Harrison and Mecca Abuka and potentially Jackson Smith and Jigba. So Tennessee's got to get better at least a little bit in their passing defense. Tennessee on the offensive side is also not nearly as balanced as what Ohio State is. Now, they both throw the ball incredibly well, and Hendon Hooker has been outstanding. And right now, he's certainly in that Heisman Trophy uh, front-running position conversation with C.J. Stroud. Their wide receivers are tremendous. They can get a wide receiver back, and I understand that, just like Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. But... If you look at their yards per carry, they're not anywhere near what Ohio State is. Ohio State, fifth in yards per carry in the country at six yards per carry. Right now, Tennessee, 46th in terms of yards per carry. So this offense for Ohio State is better than Tennessee because they go exactly toe-to-toe from a passing perspective, and they can run the ball. I think they're better at offensive line. Let's look back through history, like what does this offense remind us of? Well, you could say like uh, 2019 LSU. Okay, maybe they won't put up the passing statistics that Joe Burrow put up. I mean, he was close to 6,000 yards uh, passing of what, 60 touchdowns. That was a remarkable year. Remarkable year throwing the ball. Uh, they didn't run the ball like this team does. In fact, that 2019 LSU team, they were 31st in the country in yards per carry. Maybe it's the more balanced version of a great offense that we saw the very next year in 2020 when it was Alabama and they had Najee Harris and they had Devontae Smith and they had Mac Jones and a great offensive line and they could do it all. Maybe that's 
a better comparison for this Ohio State team. I will tell you, though, that this Ohio State team is a better team. And the, and the, the main point is they can still get better with Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's scary. They're really good. They can go to a scary level. Those are the reasons why Ohio State is number one in the country for me right now. Now we'll see how it plays out during the course of this stretch run. Listen, if Tennessee goes and beats Georgia and Athens, I will mark my words. If Tennessee beats Georgia, they will be my number one team. There's no doubt about it. I have my questions whether they can do that or not because they're not as balanced. This is still a team in Tennessee that was outgained by Florida and Alabama. Both Florida and Alabama had more first downs than they did, even though Tennessee won both of those games. And this is still a team that went to overtime with Pitt when Pitt sat on the ball in the last minute with their backup quarterback hobbling around with a bum ankle. So, like, that's still in the bag as well, right? You think about a golfer. Like, what's your worst shot possible? I think Tennessee's worst shot possible in their bag is probably worse, lower. The floor is lower than what Ohio State's is right now. So, Ohio State is going to be my number one team in the country, and we'll see him this week. I can't wait to see him. Last point on Ohio State. I've told you before, I can get a really good sense and a feeling about a team after covering them. I wish I could cover more SEC teams. It's just not in the cards. I really do. I wish I could be a part of those environments and get around those teams. I loved covering Alabama, uh, went there in the spring, and then covered them again for Texas earlier in the year. I got a much better sense about their team and their culture. Uh, I had a really good feeling about this Texas team uh, after meeting with them in person before that Alabama game. And I think that that's coming to fruition as we see Quinn Ewers and his health. I had a great feeling last year about that Michigan team. I remember telling people about it, like, it just feels different. It feels special at Michigan. I I felt the same way in 2019 about Ohio State. That was just a special group. So I can't wait to get around this Ohio State team and just to sense it, just to feel it. What's the leadership like? What's the locker room like? What are the... what's What's the coaching staff uh, you know, like? What are their body language? All that stuff makes a difference, and I'll get to see it this week as Ohio State takes on Iowa. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. 
Okay, let's move on. So, um, you've heard me argue that divisions should be done away with. And I still feel that way. Let's just put it to you this way. Divisions are bad for college football. None of these conferences should still be playing a division format, period. It's bad for college football. I think that I, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson in, in why do we have them in the first place. If you don't know, this is why. Back in the early 90s when the SEC kind of became the SEC and the Big 12 was kind of becoming the Big 12 and the Southwest Conference was splitting up, there were bylaws that were created in order for the SEC to create a first-of-its-kind conference championship game. Um, part of those bylaws were that you had to have a minimum of 12 teams in your conference and a minimum of two divisions of six. That was written into the bylaws. And so that's what everyone tried to do. That's why the Big 12 went to 12 teams. How did you get a conference championship game? That's how you did it. That's why the Pac-10 went to Pac-12. Uh, same with the Big Ten. Big Ten needed more teams. Well, okay, how do we get a 12th team? How do we get two divisions so that we can have a conference championship game? Because that was a revenue generator for these conferences. So why did every conference strive to get to 12? It was in the bylaws. Had to get to 12, had to have two divisions in order to have a conference championship game. So then the last round of conference realignment happens and there's the big 12 has a conference championship game now is under the threshold of the 12 teams and the two divisions and so they went and appealed the bylaw and they said we want to throw this out and it was part of the power five gaining autonomy and part of that autonomy was they did away with this minimum level the criteria for every conference. So then, in order for the Big 12 to have their conference championship game with 10 teams and no divisions, that bylaw was then thrown out. Okay, so it went away. Now, there's no criteria. So you don't have to have divisions in order to have your conference championship game. So there is no reason for divisions. They're hurting college football. I think this year is a case study in how divisions have hurt the sport. Look at this year and how much damage, <laughs> I know it's tough to use that language, but how much damage divisions are doing in college football. Okay, let's just think of it from this perspective. Every conference with divisions, SEC, Big Ten, ACC, all the divisions are doing is hurting the conference. Hurting the teams in the conference, hurting the conference. There's no wins in this for these three entities. And let's walk through them all. In the ACC, let's start with the ACC. Three of their, well, the top three teams ranked for them right now, all in one side of the division in the Atlantic division. Okay? They're on the top 15. Clemson, Wake, and Cuse. How about the Cuse? I love it. Cuse. Cuse is going to get some more love. Um, I got, listen, we work in our industry. There's so many Syracuse people around, and they always bother me about like, hey, you need to give Cuse more love. That's coming. Don't worry. More Cuse love coming. Uh, but those three teams are the best teams in the ACC right now. They're the best teams and top teams as far as the AP poll, and they all rest in one side of the division. Now, Clemson has already beat Wake Forest. 
you would assume that they would beat Syracuse, but we don't know. Okay, so like, let's just leave that out there. Next best team is going to be North Carolina. So now you finally get into the next division and you think to yourself, okay, there's North Carolina. Well, do we really think they're that good? They're a one-loss team, probably going to play for the conference championship. How is that a win for the ACC if one of those teams, let's say it's Clemson, goes to the ACC championship game and all they have to do is win and they're in? But it's a no-win scenario. From the ACC's perspective, if Clemson blows North Carolina out, it's not good for the brand of the game or the value of the game. If Clemson wins in a close game, it calls into question, in a subjective sport, their ability to be included in the playoff. If they lose, then they're out. North Carolina's not going to the playoff. At least we don't anticipate, and I certainly don't anticipate. So it is a no-win proposition for the ACC this year to have divisions. Wouldn't you much rather have just the top two teams face each other in the ACC championship game? Absolutely. Same in the Big Ten, by the way. In the Big Ten, the top three teams, as far as the rankings go, in the conference are all in one side of the division, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. Next team ranked, finally we get to a Western division team, and it's Illinois. So there's Illinois with one loss. That loss was to Indiana. They still have to play Michigan during the course of this year. Do we really think that Illinois is going to be in a position where they only have one loss playing for the Big Ten championship game? I personally don't, okay? So that leads us to probably the winner of Michigan-Ohio State playing Illinois in a no-win scenario. Win big, rating's not great, value of your game goes down. Win close, it's subjective, and the committee can call your team into question of whether they're going to put them into the playoff or not. Lose, and you're out. Bad proposition. Now let's look at the SEC. You might be thinking, well, Joel, in the SEC, isn't it working out for them? No, it's not working out for them because their top two teams, now Tennessee and Georgia, are in one side of the division. The reason this is bad is because last week's game, Tennessee's game, is going to be minimized. Their effort is going to be minimized. Walk through this with me for a moment. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, last week, Tennessee lost to Mississippi State. Okay? Non-division game. They lost it. Would anything be different for Tennessee in terms of their ability to win the SEC? Nope. Not one thing. Not one thing. So what did beating Alabama in epic fashion do for the Vols? Got them a sweet ranking this week. But it doesn't do anything for them because Alabama's still got a cleaner route to the championship game than Tennessee does. The divisions are hurting the SEC as well. So here's Tennessee, and now they're going to be probably, probably in a must win against Georgia on the road, or else they're going to have to watch a team whom they beat play Georgia in the SEC championship game. How's that good for the conference? It's not. It's not. Then Tennessee is going to be praying that 
Alabama, then what, beats Georgia? But then Georgia would have the tiebreaker. Like, how does Tennessee get in there? So it does eventually trickle down to the playoff. Whereas if you didn't have divisions and you had the same schedule, even in the SEC right now, you would be trending towards a Tennessee-Georgia rematch in the SEC championship game. So Tennessee would have more control over their own destiny than they do even currently. That's a, that's a, that's a bad thing. Again, I'm going to go back to this. Tell me what is different for Tennessee if last week they would have lost to Mississippi State. What's different in the SEC race? Not much. Not much. They're in a good position right now. They control their own destiny, and good for them. Good for them. But the barrier of entry, barrier to entry, is greater for them than it is even for the Tide. And they beat Alabama. Again, divisions are horrible for the sport. All three of those conferences right now are dealing with the same thing. What's Michigan and Ohio State supposed to do, right? What if they face each other undefeated? Somebody loses. Like, oh, great. And then you watch Illinois play for the conference championship? Like, what if Syracuse plays Clemson and that's the only loss Syracuse has? And what? And then you get to see North Carolina play for the conference championship? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's outdated. There's no rule that states that we need to do this. And we can do better. We can do better. There's just way too much arbitrary scheduling, who you're going to play from the opposite side, who you're not going to play from the opposite side. Let's just put it to you this way. You really think that Illinois would be in position to go to the conference championship game if they were just included in the other division, if they had to play Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State this year? Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. So what? We're going to reward them because of geography? Well, that ain't right. That ain't right. And I'm, listen, I'm on Tennessee's side right now. You should be rewarded, Vols, for your win a, a week ago against Alabama. As it stands right now, you're not going to be rewarded. And the burden of proof is still on you. And you're going to have to do it on the road against Georgia, probably in order to go to that conference championship game. The other two conferences, I think that they have it right. And the races right now are primed for an epic finish towards the end. In fact, in both of the other conferences that have done away with divisions, Pac-12 and the Big 12, this week on Saturday, we're going to see the last remaining undefeateds as far as conference play goes face each other. Right, So this is, this is fantastic. We know who are the teams that are still in the race. We know that all you've got to do is continue to win and you can control your destiny to get to that point. We know that the top two teams will be facing each other in their conference championship game. We know that the winner of that game will be in a better position with the college football playoff committee than if these other conferences, you know, if Ohio State struggles with Illinois for a half, or if Clemson struggles with North Carolina for three quarters, or if Tennessee is 11 and one and gets to go out there and watch Georgia handle Alabama, how is that good for anybody? We need to do away with divisions. And by the way, it can happen and it can happen quickly. I would encourage the Big Ten to do with uh, do away with divisions as quickly as possible. They've been talking about it for next year, and I think that they should do it. I really do. I think that you can do more creative and cool things with your league schedule. You can retain a rivalry, mix up other games. You can also start to create parity matchups where the last place team from the previous year definitely doesn't have to play maybe a top tier team, but they get an easier schedule within conference. 
You can do a lot of things to increase the value of your conference schedule. You can do a lot of things to increase the parity within your own conference. And then first, or lastly, and I think most importantly, you can get the best two teams in your conference to the conference championship game. Okay. Um, last thing before we get out of here, I wanted to give a shout out Monday. I talked about Max Duggan from TCU and he's got a great story. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it because Max, Max Duggan's story is inspirational in a lot of ways and, uh, it should be commended. There's another guy that playing unbelievable football and I don't think he's gotten enough credit for what he's done this year, in particular for a team that's playing really well. Now, granted, I just went on a, a big, long rant about Illinois, but that's not Illinois' fault, okay? Chase Brown, the running back for Illinois, has been outstanding. And he's doing some things that are really unimaginable, to be honest with you. I even tweeted about it uh, over the course of the weekend on Saturday. I'm, I'm looking at the, the games and I'm looking at some box scores. I'm watching some film and I'm thinking to myself, geez, Chase Brown carried the rock 41 times last week in a win over Minnesota. 180 yards. I got to tell you, man, like he's he's doing some serious work. He's got the most carries, rushing attempts, in the Power Five by 46. 46 over Blake Corum. That's like two games for most players. Um, he's basically touching the ball 30 times per game. He had 44 touches last week in the win over Minnesota. And I, I just... Like, I love it when guys like this late in their career start to carry their teams to heights that we haven't seen these programs reach before. He, by the way, he's playing with his twin brother. Sidney Brown is a safety for Illinois. And earlier in his career, Chase's career, he transferred to Illinois from, uh, I think it was Western Michigan, to, to join his brother. And this is before the transfer portal. Okay, so... This is when you were going to have to sit out or get a waiver, and the waiver was delayed when his time at Illinois, so he didn't even get eligible until late in the 2019 season, all the way, I think it was like the fifth game against Michigan, only played in four of those games. But he's just like just kept going in his career, and he's gotten a lot of carries, and he's a really good player, a really good player, and he is Illinois' offense to a large degree. I mean, this guy is toting the rock, and in the last three weeks, he's had monster games, and they've done things in that West that people did not think was possible from Illinois. In the last three weeks, they beat Wisconsin, got Paul Chris fired by beating him 34-10 up in Wisconsin. Then they beat Iowa in that crazy game 9-6. Then they just beat Minnesota. Those are your three top contenders out of the West. So good on you, Illinois. I love it. Now, granted, it's, it's an odd year in which they lost to Indiana early, but now they're starting to get better. A developmental program. They are getting better and better. The defense is fantastic. They play complimentary football under Brett Bielema. They run the rock with this guy, Chase Brown. This dude, man, big shout out, Chase. You are doing some serious work. I hope you stay healthy. I hope I'll see you in Indianapolis. Um, and they've got a big one, by the way, the last week before the end of the season 
Michigan now all of a sudden their toughest two games of the season are going to be the last two weeks of the season. They face Illinois and then Ohio State. Not many people uh, imagine that during the course of the year. So good on you, Chase Brown. Again, 44 touches last week. 44 wild stuff. Uh, great player and someone that you could you could see win a Doak Walker Award. You could see Chase, if he continues to play this way, put himself in that conversation to maybe end up in New York as a Heisman Trophy finalist. Okay, that'll do it for today's show. Uh, come back tomorrow. I'll have uh, the games that we're breaking down. I'll have some picks for you. By the way, we went 4-0 last week, so I'm just saying. Um, that, that'll, be, uh, that'll be fun. And as always, folks, remember, share the Joel Class Show with someone that you love. Some, one of your buddies, one of your friends, one of your coworkers, because it's always better when we can talk about college football amongst a bigger group. I'm Joel Klatt. You can follow me on Twitter at Joel Klatt. You can follow this show at Joel Klatt Show. Remember, tomorrow, new episode on Thursday. We'll talk to you then.